hey, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. This sounds like a Ford F-150 commercial. Is it? Wait, no? No, it's not. It's a commercial for the 10 Bell Pod Patreon. Hey guys, it's Tyler here from 10 Bell Pod. Just taking a moment to remind you guys that if you want to, you can support us over on Patreon as well. We really appreciate you listening. We hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Really need a Ford F-150. Hello and welcome to Tim Bell Pod. I'm Nick Alexander and I'm joined by stand-up comedian and dare I say podcaster, Tyler Wood. Hey, what's up everybody? And of course, in Zoom box number three is none other than the s'mores-eating, tent-sleeping, campfire-making, trail-mix bacon, Man Scout Jake Manning. I love that my intro is a thousand times better than Tyler. Um, <laughs> it's just like Tyler, he's a dude with glasses. He says jokes into a microphone. And even that's a better intro than what you just gave him. That was great. I love it. I, and I, I appreciate it so much. And I've stolen so many of those intros and made them into t-shirts. So thank you so much, Nicholas. The royalty checks in the mail. But you know how royalty checks get lost in the mail when you live in Hollywood. Hey, you know, in a world of a rule of three, I got two things in my intro, and I appreciate that. (laughs) Subverting the expectations. Wrestling, comedy, just rule of two, Tyler Wood, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Today we're covering the most electrifying man in sports entertainment's dad, Rocky Johnson. And like a lot of people we've covered on this show rocky is a very complex and complicated person to talk about and we'll get into that but first i feel like rocky is another one of those guys where his time in wwf has dominated his entire story like basically the coverage out there on rocky is nothing happened he won the tag team titles now let's talk about the rock for 45 minutes so aside from passing his god tier genetics to the rock Give us a reason why people should care about Rocky Johnson. Well, we'll get into it when we get into it. But yes, uh, we just had a very complicated person to talk about, especially for me, because I have a personal story about the man. And I think The Rock even has a complicated history with his father. I think that's pretty well documented enough that they ha- they've butted heads over the years. But when it came to, you know, territory guys, there wasn't a territory that he didn't go to that he wasn't one of the biggest deals in. Like, as soon as he came in, it, it was immediate, like, this is a star in our territory. There are so many old posters where Rocky Johnson is listed as the main event, um, one of the main attractions on any card across the country. It doesn't matter if it's Memphis, Tennessee, Los Angeles, California, Portland, Oregon, Charlotte, North Carolina, Tampa. It makes no difference. Rocky Johnson, everywhere across the country, was always regarded as a main event top guy and traveled from territory to territory to territory so as far as his wrestling career um a perennial main eventer throughout the entire territories area that's i think probably the best way to look at it and people like to use the word you know groundbreaker as far as the first black 
champion in WWF, the tag team champions with him and Tony Atlas as a benchmark in history that gets thrown around and discussed uh, multiple times over. So that's pretty much his legacy as far as my mind in the ring. Wade Douglas Bowles was born August 24th, 1944 in Nova Scotia, Canada, sharing a birthday with Vince McMahon, Dave Chappelle, and my friend Chad. (laughs) Quite a a lineage of people (laughs) born on August 24th. Rocky said his dad died when he was 12 years old, and not long after that, Rocky dropped out of school working in a coal mine before moving to Toronto. And some say he started with just seven bucks in his pocket. <laughs> this is like the rock thing. Yeah. Um. You know, it's always funnier, Nick, when you explain the joke. That's always, <laughs> that's always the rule of comedy. If you have to explain a joke, it, that's what makes it funnier. This is the explanation. Always. How did we get here? What, you know what it said? This is why I said it. Before wrestling, Rocky was a boxer. And I looked into it. Uh, not the same one from the movies. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of facts you can expect from Tim Bell Pod. Rocky even sparred some with Muhammad Ali, and he drops that the same way I drop that I played AAU against Steph Curry, and by that I mean any chance we get. <laughs> well, which is funny because we've been friends for how long, and I think you've only mentioned it once. So <laughs> I'm I'm glad that we have found another way to get into that conversation um, on this podcast. So I. I, I haven't heard I haven't heard enough, Nicholas. So keep it coming. All the stories of you and Steph about him being annoying, chewing his mouth guard at the free throw line as a young seventh grader. Tell me all about it someday. <laughs> well, he basically walked across half court, shot a three from forty five foot. It went in. We lost by like fifty. That's 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 the story. <laughs> okay, all right, good to know. So Rocky worked out at this sports complex that was kind of like a Canadian YMCA. And one day while boxing, a pro wrestler invited him into the ring. And since Rocky grew up watching some wrestling, he was like, cool, let's do this. The wrestler showed him a few moves. And of course, in that day, he was kind of really locking them in because back then they didn't tell you that wrestling was a work until like your third NWA title. (laughs) With his interest peaked, Rocky ended up going to Jack Whitworth's wrestling school in Hamilton, Canada. Well, and of course, Rocky was like, okay, well, now that you're smart me about wrestling, I'll smart you up about boxing. Boxing's fake, too. Just let you know about that. But no, I mean, the fact that he had this boxing background explains Rocky's footwork. Like, Rocky always had just really amazing footwork. If you've ever, ever seen him wrestle, his footwork is unbelievable and it's very comparable to a boxer because it was a boxer and his his jabs you'd always work that in and work that background and of course every commentator across the country would mention that he had a amateur career and talk about how he sparred Muhammad Ali and then eventually someday the guy who's played against Stefan AAU basketball will do a podcast about him there's all these things (laughs) that a wrestling commentator could talk about to to make what (laughs) he's doing much more I guess not really legitimate, but in the same sense that Jim Ross always mentioned your collegiate athletic background, you know, all the territory wrestlers could then, you know, mention that all the time. And then, of course, that when you're bringing him in as a star, it's it helps build that mystique behind him that he is a multi-sport athlete. 
he had his first match at a publicity event for whipper billy watson who was running for canadian office some sort of duke of the beavers or whatever they do up there so his first match was like 90 seconds but it was on tv pretty interesting debut whipper billy who's that watson Whipper shut Billy your, Watson. Shut your fucking mouth. One of the greatest fucking wrestling. Oh, Jake, don't you fucking start Legend, no. here on Whipper <laughs> Billy no, Watson. Are you shitting yes. me? Whipper Billy Watson is the name that I always use when I want to throw around like a legendary old-timey wrestler. It's like Luthez, Whipper Billy Watson. Always. Always. And it's a tricky one to say. And it... yeah, That's why most people go with Frank Gotch. That's why it's just... <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, you know who Frank Gotch is. Congratulations. Uh, Hackenschmidt. What's his first name? Oh, um, shit. Uh, <laughs> it's real German. Uh, is it Frank? No, it's George. George, George yeah. damn. All right. <laughs> Rocky spent the next two years at the Heart Dungeon, where Stu stretched him out, and he worked for Wildcat Wrestling, which was kind of the rough draft for Stampede Wrestling. Right, it's different leagues. It's like uh, it's like my triple A, triple A ball. That's what I, that's what I do. It's, uh, I'm trying to get a lower level guy. It's like what's a minor league, you know? Uh, it's, I uh, I get these guys and I said, let me have you. And they, don't, they don't let me have them. have them themselves. So then I send him to Wildcat. Like, oh, you're a Wildcat. You don't let me have you. That's what that's what you're doing. So then I wait for him to be on Wildcat, and then when you're ready. And, and they say again, can let me have you? And they're like, sure. And that's when I stretch them. And that's when they're part of Stampede. That's how it works. You get stretched, you're in Stampede. You fucking run away from me, you're a wildcat. That's how it is. That's how it is. I grab you and I hold it tight. And a little bastard tried to run away from me one time. He started giving me these boxing jabs. And I was like, you're no Luther Lindsay. And I slapped him across the face and stretched him anyways. That's what I did. I, just, I slapped him so hard. And all of a sudden, his eyebrow like cocked in a certain way. And I was like, you put that eyebrow away and you save that for your son. That's not yours. That's not yours. And then he went to sleep. He was out. So I choked him out. His veins were running across his head. Right? His veins were like this. And you hold him like that and you bring him back to life. Like I put him out and then I bring him back to life. Like I see the soul leave their body and then I smack the soul right across the face. And it goes right back in their body. And when I slapped them in the face, I slapped their soul and put it back into their body. Like a, like, a, like a shaman. That's what I am. I'm a Canadian shaman. We got to lock the doors. He keeps wandering in here. I know. He <laughs> wandered in, and he had a spatula full of, like, cat poop all over it. And just <laughs> just wandered in with sweatpants on, no shirt, real creepy. Just Did, did he stretch you while he was talking just now? Oh, I, I passed out. I don't know. I feel like my soul left its body uh, and it got smacked back in. I don't know. Like, that's a weird feeling to have and very descriptive, but I feel like that's what happened. Like I lost consciousness, felt like my soul left its body, and then my soul was slapped by a 90-year-old man and got pushed back in my body. That's what I feel like. I don't know if that's exactly what happened, but if I was to describe what just happened to me when I went silent on the microphone, I'm guessing that's what happened. By 64, Rocky was, he was doing it. He was wrestling all up in Canada and would even decide that it doesn't matter what his birth name is and legally changed his name to Rocky Johnson. He chose the name Rocky Johnson as a tribute to his favorite boxers, Rocky Marciano and Jack Johnson, the boxer, not the acoustic guitar guy. Damn it, Nick. Don't step on my jokes. Don't step (laughs) on the terrible jokes I'm about to make. 
<laughs> and it's very similar how Jake chose his name, Man from Portman 2, and Scout from the actress in the 2000s remake of Halloween, Scout Taylor Compton. Man Scout. Facts. You heard it here first. I will say it in a legal deposition when you sue me someday. I, just like CM stands for chick magnet. So the breaking news right here before the deposition. Congratulations, Nicholas, for breaking that piece of wonderful news. Do you like Pepsi? <laughs> no, I'm more of a Coke guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't get me in trouble, okay? I like no. my job. <laughs> uh, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I just, I just like Coke. I just prefer Coke. I just, I mean, I, I'll, I'll have a Pepsi, and Pepsi's good, and Pepsi, Pepsi's made a lot of money. And no, it, well. Jake, if you think I'm Pepsi's just, shit, just that's saying, fine. I listen. If somebody says uh, we got Pepsi, I'm like, okay, cool. You know, somebody, I'd be like. <laughs> So you're saying Pepsi's just fine. I get it. I understand. No, Pepsi's great. Pepsi's fantastic. I love Pepsi. Why don't you get a tattoo of it? No, I like Pepsi. (laughs) Just, you know, Coke was there for me when I lost my job. I'm just saying, Coke was there for me. (laughs) Rocky would spend the first couple years of his career working for Maple Leaf Wrestling and NWA Vancouver and or All-Star Wrestling. In 67, he started dipping his toe into the United States, taking some work in Washington. And in 69, he did some dates for Vince Sr. and the WWWF. And boy, if either of them knew what their sons would become, they would have crushed them at all costs. Uh. <laughs> Correct. Facts. <laughs> I mean, Vince is an evil villain. And as Nick, Nick Alexander has you know, done bits about before, we're lucky that The Rock is not using his powers for evil. So. <laughs> I forgot about the joke. It's a good joke. And, I, and I've wanted, I've almost accidentally stepped on it a couple of times because I have a Michael Vick bit that it uh. could tie into that very nicely. But it is your joke and I heard you do it. So I can't, I can't, I'm not going to Robin Williams it. If you want, I I will formally, and here it's documented, uh, pass it along to you. You can have okay. it. Okay. All right. There well, there you go. go. I, will, I, will, I will use it. For that, and it, I'm sure there's some significant jokes about it that will get wonderful laugh in front of the 12 people that I perform in front of every week on a Monday basis, which I'm happy to perform in because that's 12 more people than what a Charlotte open mic would have. So I'm happy about that. Rocky's first big tour of America came with big time wrestling in Detroit slash Ohio area. And then he headed to NWA Hollywood and San Francisco, where Rocky was only supposed to be for like six months. He ended up staying for nine years. I always know the Wild Samoans being just the kings of San Francisco. When we did a shoot interview with the Wild Samoans when I worked at High Spots, they could really care less about what we were talking about, with the exception of their time in San Francisco. They used to talk about just beating the shit out of fans that would try and jump on them. And like, that's the thing. We couldn't get them to talk about their accolades, their title wins, their trips to Japan, the the wonderful things they did in Korea. No, they wanted to talk about beating the shit out of fans in San Francisco (laughs) because they were they were so over, so hated and so beloved. It'd be either sides of the fence. It was it was always they were like the kings of San Francisco and San Francisco, like with the cow palace back in the day like when i had an opportunity to go to the cow palace for this wrestling convention that bombed horribly i made a point to go because there's just so much wrestling history in the cow palace 
we've thrown out a lot of territories in this this journey of Rocky Johnson and as a guy that I feel like in a different time would be a journeyman wrestler man does that sound exciting to go to Vancouver Toronto you know Washington State San Francisco Hollywood like just moving around from town to town to town in those towns in, in the time that Rocky's moving through these towns would just be absolutely incredible and fun and every one of these territories at the time that he's going through are very vibrant um you could make a considerable amount of money move on to the next one come in be presented as as a star get some momentum and then put over the local guy and then move on to the next one it is very much happening right now but obviously when you find a territory you like like san francisco you want to stay there and of course he's going to have a variety of different reasons why he would want to stay in San Francisco coming up. In California, Rocky would flourish getting his hands on the NWA America's Heavyweight title, a title held by African-American pro wrestling pioneer Bobo Brazil. Rocky also had a long feud with Freddie Blassie, and I think by like 1970, Freddie was kind of winding down as far as being in the ring, but NWA territory, working Freddie Blassie, that's probably pretty decent spot, decent money, good for him, right? Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of at a blank for words of what what show it was, but Blassie, it, time is really going to forget how popular he was, especially like in those West Coast territories. And I remember like mainstream TV shows, like Freddie Blassie's like appearing on them. Like I can't remember what show it was, but it was like a big talk show, and it might have been something like had Regis Philbin on it, or like a, maybe like a like a Tonight Show type thing, but he was on like mainstream television, like, oh, you know, wrestling champion, Freddie Blassie, and he'd come out with a belt over top of a like a suit or a track suit, and he'd come out and insult everybody. I mean, he, he as a performer, as, as a bad guy wrestler, and then eventually I think he even turned good guy wrestler once he just had entertained. That's what happens. When you're so entertaining as a bad guy, eventually you have to become the good guy, and I think that's what kind of eventually happened to Blassie at some point in time during his West Coast run. I think I remember hearing that, but that's that's when you know you are a good bad guy is that you eventually become a good guy. And Blassie was quite possibly the best. I mean, getting stabbed multiple times over, he is one of the greats and and time is really going to forget how good he is and I don't know how much is out there. Like I have a whole shelf just behind where this camera is that's full of VHS tapes and I have some of the LA territory and I want to like dive into it and see if I have any blasty stuff. I think it's a little bit later though, but I think they replayed some of the older stuff and I would love to see some early blasty stuff just to see what he was doing and the things he was saying and how he's portrayed. I think, I think it'd be a fascinating thing. And I think everybody who wants to be a wrestling bad guy, especially the way some of his quips he's have, like, I feel like there's this resurgence in for lack of a better word, corny wrestling bad guys. I think there's, I think there's still, that's why I think there's still love for Jim Cornette and some of the lines that he stole from comics like Jackie Mason and Don Rickles, you know, like, ah, it takes you 90 minutes to watch 60 minutes, <laughs> which is actually kind of factual for me because what ends up happening, I just DVR it and I stop it and I check something on Twitter and then go back to it. So it actually does take me an hour and 20 minutes to watch 60 minutes because I'm always dicking around on my phone and it's hitting pause. But regardless, um, you know, the, I think there's kind of a resurgence for that when wrestling fans 
go to shows, I've noticed that when in some of my promos, like I tried to be edgy for a long period of time and thinking that's where we needed to go. But I felt like that just turned people off and kind of offended people. Where then if I just do the hokey George South church show banter, that seems to get the best reaction. And also sometimes actually makes people really mad um, for whatever reason and works works better. But then like what ends up happening is if they confront you like, I can't believe you said this. And they're like, okay, well, what did this guy at a wrestling show say about you? And the person repeats it and they kind of stop and they're like, oh, yeah, that is dumb. I shouldn't be thinking. They called me a pitiful punk. Why am I getting mad <laughs> about being called that? So, you know, getting to work with somebody like Blassie in, in that prime is obviously a great nod. And probably Blassie saw somebody like Rocky Johnson was like, I want to work with him because I think there's a tremendous amount of potential there. So I guess now is a good time to get into the fact that Rocky Johnson was a dirty, dirty slut. <laughs> Shit, man, I would be too if I had a mustache like that. You shitting me? I forgot what I was talking to. One guy staring at you in a Zoom conversation right now with a thick old mustache. So this hussy was married and had two kids with his wife, Una, who he had met back in Canada, but... Around 70, 71-ish, Rocky would start tag-teaming with High Chief Peter Maivia, and Rocky would meet his daughter, Ada. Bada-bing, bada-blau, auga. Dwayne The Rock Johnson was born May 2nd, 1972. And I I love Peter Maivia. I just, I, every picture I've ever seen of him, like, he looks just super cool. If you don't believe that, watch... You only live twice, which I didn't realize until recently, like probably in the last two or three years, that he fights Sean Connery. Like to me, like if I ever met The Rock, I want to talk about his grandfather fighting Sean Connery. Like I really, <laughs> that's, and it's one of the better like Bond fight scenes. We always talk about like Odd Job was a wrestler. Like people talk about that a lot. And I, it's like, man, no, not enough people talk about how Peter Maivia fought Sean Connery. I mean, Hulk Hogan fought Sylvester Stallone and created the tyranny and reign of Hulkamania for decades. <laughs> Peter Maivia fought 007 in the fucking 80s. He would have been the biggest star of all time, where I feel like it was just this, like, because it happened when it happened, like, oh, yeah, it was in a movie, and people don't make a big deal of it. And I, I think there's not enough deal made over the fact that Peter Maivia fought Sean Connery. 007, guys. 007. I don't know, maybe because I'm a Bond mark. That's why it's so cool to me. But, like, yeah, Maivia is a star. And now he's your father-in-law. I mean, congratulations, Rocky. <laughs> so, Jake, what you're saying is if High Chief Peter Maivia would have shot on Elvis during the filming of Blue Hawaii, he could have made it big. Yes, he could have. He definitely could have. Like, if you just put him in, like, you know what? Fuck this guy. <laughs> and just <laughs> took him down a peg. Oh, and see Elvis try and do karate. It wasn't the love affair that got Rocky divorced because, uh, you know, this was back in the day. He probably didn't tell him. <laughs> People had, like, second families all the time. Found out recently my grandpa had one of those. and uh, Nice. Yeah. It, he's... <laughs> I'm really disappointed it wasn't like Rocky Johnson. I'm disappointed my grandpa wasn't. <laughs> I feel like you would have known. I feel like you would have known. <laughs> no, Jake, why? It, what makes you? <laughs> uh, I mean, every time you look in a mirror, I feel like you would have known or at least had some sort of like the needle would have pointed one way or another. I'm just saying. 
So since Una was a Jehovah's Witness, she said that wrestling was a blood sport and she couldn't stay married to Rocky. So they eventually parted ways. And I, I assume she showed up Saturday morning and knock on the door with the divorce papers because Jehovah's Witness. <sighs> It's even better when you explain the jokes every time. Like, everything's really. Yeah. Do you want to? Do you want to take her her journey from her car to the door to knocking on the door and then somebody peeking through here? Like, oh, what's this person on the suit doing on my front steps? And then opening the door and then giving the whole spiel. Do you want to explain it in that much more detail? Because I think it'll make it funnier. Rocky would eventually marry High Chief's daughter, making him part of that legendary Anawahi family. Back Is that how Cal- you pronounce it? Yeah, on Hawaii. On Hawaii. We okay. have we have gone over this already. You should have listened to the back catalog, my friend. <laughs> Nick has had an existential crisis over this last name, and then finally we just had to be able to say. Fuck it. This is what it is. Okay. I will try to revise my Anoi uh, pronunciation. Anawahi. 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 Gotcha. Back in California in 72, he had a long run against Pat Patterson before becoming tag team champions with him because, you know, Pat didn't have a daughter he could bang. You know, you know what I'm saying. Pat Patterson. And, uh, <laughs> explain that one. You're going to explain, no, no, that, no, one you didn't explain that one enough. you got to explain that one a little more to make that one funny. Nick, that one is too, are you saying, too subtle. Are you too saying subtle. he's the intercontinental champion? Is that the joke yeah, too, here? Too, too much time in Rio de Janeiro to uh, be pumping out kids. All right. So uh, in, in late 74, Rocky got his hands on the NWA Georgia heavyweight title, uh, eventually losing it to Abdullah the Butcher of all people. Rocky would be the first black champion of Georgia and kind of jumping around here, but Rocky was also the first black champion in Florida and Texas. And I think maybe now's a good time to explain how tricky it was to be a person of color kind of navigating around these, especially Southern territories. And there's a lot of rumors and truths about how Rocky handled it. Yeah, this is where it starts to get checkered. And like you want to be as fair as possible, but when you have sat down and interviewed as many people or been in the room with for as many interviews as I have with old-timey wrestlers, there is not a lot of good things said about Rocky Johnson in in this department. You would you would think a black wrestler would look out for another black wrestler or feel some sort of fellowship of what they're going through. And from a lot of accounts, that's not what Rocky was doing or about. What Rocky would do is he would get to a territory and then he would demand the promoter not to hire any other black wrestlers in the territory. I think even as, as much as like even job guys, like he's like, I don't even want any black job guys. So all of the black fans can be my fans or like I can be more important. A lot of wrestlers have gone on record and said that this is what Rocky was about. This is what he did. That Rocky screwed him out of this territory or like Rocky got to a territory before another black wrestler and then told the promoter like, Hey, this other black wrestler that you got coming in, tell him to go somewhere else. I'm the only black wrestler here. And if you can't honor that, I'm going to leave. And Rocky was such a star that he could do that. And Get somebody, you know, kicked out of a territory. Get somebody barred from a territory while he's there or whatever reason. This is this is something that's been discussed, not whispered about. This is something that's been said multiple times over from uh, numerous wrestlers. This is this is what I 
I know about Rocky Johnson, unfortunately, on top of him being the first black champion WWF. Like when you say Rocky Johnson, that's one of the top things I think about. That's why I didn't say it at the top of the show, because I'm trying to be as fair as possible. But since we're at that point, that's exactly where we're at right now. And the thing is, too, it's frustrating is because some of these territories he's going to, he's feeling racism. He's going through it and he's almost making it worse, more difficult. But at the same time, too, I'm sure there's a lot of white kids that are watching him and like, oh, Rocky Johnson's my favorite wrestler. And so there is an aspect to it that Rocky's like, oh, well, if a white kid's going to like a black wrestler, it's going to be me. Now, that is, to an extent, somewhat of a progressive result. But at the same time, too, that is detrimental at the same time. Two things can be true at the same time. And, and that's a lot of what, what this is. And it's it's very frustrating to know that this was happening. This is one of the things that was going on with him. Because you, you want to see him as such a trailblazer. But what really what he was doing was holding back a lot of progress. It reinforces segregation even more, even though... There are progressive results that are happening. It's it's not as complex as Bill Cosby, which I still have not seen the W. Kamel Bell documentary, and I'm really looking forward to that because I love complex narratives and stories like that. What territory did Bill Cosby work? Uh, mostly mostly New York, um, uh, Chicago. Hey, hey, Bill uh, Cosby's finisher was the sleeper. Hello, hi, <laughs> hey, here we go. We're doing it. This is comedy. <laughs> Thank you. This is why we have we have to have three people on the podcast, three comics, because I got put on the spot. I was like, oh, I don't have a good joke right now. I need a good joke right now. And all of a sudden, Nicholas, out of nowhere, hot tag in like he's Billy Gunn with with the pun jokes. Like, fantastic. Thank, thank you so much on the save, Nick. I think a joke needed to exist there. I didn't have a good one. I was just answering as a as if Bill Cosby did have uh, time as a wrestler. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think, you know, if, if I was ever going to talk to W. Camille Bell, I think it'd be like, hey, you really need to do something on Rocky Johnson. I think it'd be fascinating. I'd love to hear his perspective on those type of things. By 75, with a mix of his backstage politics, his amazing body and his in-ring work, Rocky is kind of fucking crushing it. He's working with or against people like Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, Mark Lewin, and he's even having NWA world title shots against Terry Funk and Jack Briscoe. In 76, Rocky went to Houston and beat a young Stan Hansen for the Texas heavyweight title and held it for five months. And uh, beating Stan Hansen in Texas is like beating Santa Claus in the North Pole. There's going to be a riot. Did we know, was he working face or heel there? Oh, I think Johnson always was babyface. Yeah. Like, he's a top babyface. Typically, like, that, black wrestlers at that time were very much babyfaces. Like, you did have your Ernie Lads who had the ability to incite riots with people and, and had that. But it, during this time, if you're bringing out a black wrestler as a bad guy wrestler, now you're going to start dipping your toes in some racism. Yeah. You're especially asking for trouble. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're asking for trouble, and you're going to... You're going to probably say some things in a microphone that are not going to be aired on the Peacock Network sometime <laughs> in the future. Like, that's probably fair to say. Yeah, just um, push it off for 10 years, put it in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and listen to the New Jack episode. <laughs> also, around this time, uh, Jake, I'm sure I'm not even going to preface any of these anymore. I've learned my lesson. This is like episode four. I'm not going to ask if you know. I know that you know. Around this time, and a few of the different territories, Rocky was also winning the Brass Knuckle Championships. So like Florida and Texas. And at the time, that was 
kind of a hardcore championship, I do believe, from the research that I found. That was a place where you were allowed to hit with closed fists. And I believe the first one you won was from Killer Carl Clock. God, fuck. And I believe the first Killer one. Killer Carl Cox. Ki- Killer Cocksucker Carl Cox. And I mm-hmm. believe that was the in the Florida Territory. And there is a clip of this on YouTube. And it is a, like, looking at this clip, it is a precursor of the style of wrestling that's to come. Because a lot of the wrestling of the 70s and, like, the early part of the 80s is slow and, like, uh, not very brawl-like. And mm-hmm. this is, like, the bringing in the style of, like, Bruiser Brody. Ass-kicking, yes. like, very similar. Like, it's like fast. brawling. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, there's a lot of action. There's a lot of things going on where a lot of the other matches, it's it's seen as wrestling. Like, mm-hmm. as if you were having an actual amateur wrestling competition with hip tosses and suplexes and, and holds and grappling maneuvers where brass knuckles was just balls out, nonstop action, cloud of dust, hit each other with everything you possibly can, full on action. And it's it just, you mesh that together with everything. And, and obviously that brass knuckle style is kind of just done everywhere, especially like when the road warriors came around, like, they were, they were, they were nineteen thousand time over brass knuckles champion. Like, as someone that like kind of has a hard time watching some older wrestling, just because the style's so slow, it's fantastic to see that because it's definitely a precursor to like to the over the top quick style that we have today. It's like you can tell that was one of the one of the seeds that went on to become like ECW and like just some of the stuff with like Japan influence and all that. It's just fantastic to watch. So highly recommend people checking out some of those brass knuckle clips. There aren't a lot to find, but definitely if you can comb through something, maybe you can beg Jake to go through his fucking humongous back catalog of wrestling. I'm sure you have some full matches, don't you? Yeah. yeah. But I will still, a lot of that comes from Memphis too. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of that comes from Memphis. A lot of that comes from Texas, you know, the merging of just like action and, brawling and every like a lot of that hardcore style came from memphis and texas and those things becoming popular and popularized throughout the country as guys travel the territories and this thing this american art form morphs into what pro wrestling is same way that stand-up comedy toured the country and guys started to evolve and become something more and something different like Pro wrestling, comedy, very much two very American art forms, that and jazz. And it evolves over time. The styles are created and this art form evolves through bouncing around the country and artists interacting with each other. Around 76, it was time for Rocky to finally go to Memphis where he would pro wrestle against Jerry Lawler feuding over the Southern heavyweight title and Rocky does not care for Jerry Lawler, Jerry Jarrett, nor the Memphis Territory as a whole. I mean, this is probably, considering the uh, promotions you just list off, this is probably one of the smaller paydays territories that he's run into at this moment in time. I mean, L.A., San Francisco, Vancouver, Maple Leaf Wrestling, and then you go to Memphis, where they got $3 tickets? (laughs) Like... And then the promoter's also ripping you off. Of course, he's not going to be happy. Of course, he's not going to like it. And of course, he knows he's never going to be like the top guy there. He's still got Jerry Lawler as the Bill Dundee's. I mean, I think that's why he tagged with Bill Dundee's because he's like, well, you know, at least I'm tagging with one of the top guys. And that's like best case scenario when you work Memphis. 
And 77, Rocky spent a ton of time in Florida having some matches with superstar Billy Graham, Ernie Ladd, and getting more title shots at Harley Race. In 78, he beat Bruiser fucking Brody for the Texas Brass Knuckle title. And that's uh, what a what a cross-section of uh, people. Uh, big old Rocky Johnson and then Bruiser Brody. Just, uh, it was a fun match. In 80, Rocky went to New Japan where he had matches against Inoki, Choshu, Fujinami. And this is just one of the handfuls of uh, Japan tours for Rocky. But Japan was helpful for Rocky because he spent a good bit of time in his mother-in-law, Leah Mayavia's territory in Hawaii, wrestling for Polynesian Pacific Pro Wrestling. And that whole promotion was perfectly set up. If you didn't have Japanese wrestling... Hawaii wrestling and that whole territory wouldn't exist because what you had a lot of times, especially like when the the big shows in Hawaii would happen, they would happen around guys flying from Japan because obviously air travel is completely different in the 70s and 80s. So obviously most of the time you'd probably have a layover in Hawaii. So what they would do is guys don't want to just have like a two hour layover and then get on a plane and go back to mesa arizona like you want to spend some time in hawaii like maybe a week but you're a wrestler and the only way you make money is by wrestling so if there's a wrestling promotion in town then obviously you're going to see if you can't get some dates so what happened a lot of times is that territory would run bigger shows based around people's japan schedule and if it was a situation where you had some talent flying back home and some talent heading over to japan it was like a perfect convergence for like a super show and also too you'd have like different groups of talent different talent that's kind of known from this territory and this territory over here having some dream matches you wouldn't have in the states and anybody would really even know about also too internet's not big so this is kind of happening almost in secret to an extent like you're getting to see kevin sullivan and rick flair and roddy piper the briscoes funks uh, abdul the butcher dick the bruiser is there ernie ladd like all these guys like just would zigzag and miss each other in territories they just happen to converge on two weeks in hawaii or or for one big super show and that's pretty much how it was designed and it was an ingenious way to capitalize on all that but the big problem is is you can't drive to all the places they're running shows. Everything was like a small little plane, just island hopping to island hopping and island hopping. And if the weather was bad, you could lose an entire cart of people because the small little plane can't take off and fly in incremental weather. So you would lose an entire show because it's because your entire car can't take off in this small little, little plane that's supposed to take off this little puddle jumper you always had issues with that and depending on what island you lived on so that was kind of the downfall was just the travel of it all but some of the shows they would run and some of the tv they run was fascinating and interesting like you would have like kevin sullivan and and mark lewin over there for long periods of time just doing some really fantastic stuff with you know king curtis and just just really fascinating stuff and these weird cross sections of people that you wouldn't know ever wrestle each other because they'd only wrestle in hawaii when they were coming back and forth from japan it was this weird thing that existed and if travel was a little bit better probably would have been around for quite some time but i mean i haven't seen much indie wrestling happening in hawaii i know there was one there was one place that existed and they would get some like 
all Japan wrestlers from time to time and some new Japan wrestlers. And that was very interesting as well. But like, yeah, that was part of the problems that traveling required small puddle jumping airplanes and the slightest bit of bad weather could completely destroy a wrestling card. And when it comes to no shows, that's the first way to kill a wrestling promotion. So a lot of that tanked because of those reasons. But it's very, very, very interesting thing that exists in pro wrestling. And there's not a lot of tapes out there in the world because, you know, you're not getting broadcast signals from Hawaii as much. And there's very little footage that exists in this world. So it'd be fascinating to see if there's a storage locker somewhere with TV tapes of Hawaii territory and Polynesian era. Back in the continental United States, Rocky would go to Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, wrestling under a mask as Sweet Ebony Diamond. And Crockett in 80 is pretty crazy territory. He's worked with all the big names in the business at this point, but never in such like a condensed amount of time. He's going up against Ox Baker, Ric Flair, Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Jimmy Snuka, Paul Jones, Iron Sheik, Sergeant Slaughter, Jake Roberts. And some of these guys aren't what they would become yet, but that's fucking crazy. Yeah, Crockett of like early 80s, like just before Starcade 83, probably one of the best kept secrets in wrestling. Successful show after successful show. I think they're getting to the point that they're outgrowing the Park Center and they're about ready to run the Charlotte Coliseum every Monday. Like it's beginning of the slow tick up of Jim Crockett promotions. It's just before Dusty's coming in and getting the book and just setting that place on fire with them running A shows, B shows, and C shows every night, just doing the loop through, you know, Charlotte, Raleigh, Columbia, Greenville, Norfolk, Virginia, Richmond, Virginia. And then I think probably by this time, the Knoxville territory is kind of folded into Crockett or it's owned by Blackjack and Flair and they're sharing talent with Crockett's office and that's kind of running but like on off days for the talent or like spot show days they're coming over to work Knoxville and so you got Charleston you got Wilmington and all those areas just being hit and just hammered home before Atlanta opens wide open once Ted Turner gets involved and then everything just starts exploding from there. But at this time during 80, you're making a lot of money for Jim Crockett promotion and you are sleeping in your bed just about every night. So, cause most of the trips are within three or four hours. I mean, that's part of the reason why I was able to be in Charlotte, North Carolina for 16 years and wrestle as much as I did. Like all those little towns all over the place were filled with people that were watching wrestling when I was like two or three or four or however young the people who grew up watching wrestling and just like, Oh, wrestling's up the street from a house and it's some of the best wrestling in, in the country and in the world it's right up there. So um, yeah, it's an amazing time. Perfect time to get in as well. In late 81, Rocky would go to Portland to tag with Iceman King Parsons feuding with Buddy Rose and past Tim Bell Pod episode Matt Bourne, a.k.a. Doink the Clown. They'd eventually grab the tag team titles. And in 1982, Rocky would go back to New York where the company was slowly changing to WWF and Vince Kennedy is setting his plan for global domination. Rocky hit the house show loop with Don Morocco, Ivan Koloff, George Still, Andre the Giant, but by 83, 
Rocky would get into what he's arguably best known for as a wrestler, as it was his most publicized tag teaming with Tony Atlas, forming the team known as Soul Patrol. And just those names, Soul Patrol, I feel like they've been used in multiple territories. <laughs> like, hey, we've got two black wrestlers. Let's make them a tag team and call them Soul Patrol. I, I think even Coco Beware was referred to as Sweet Ebony Diamond. It's just those stereotypical names. But that's why you don't see it like mentioned like, oh, the first ever black tag team champions in WDF was Soul Patrol. Like even they kind of recognize that. Like it's always Tony Atlas and Rocky Johnson, which I think the pairing makes the most sense because obviously Rocky is in the ring, very seasoned. He's had world title matches. I mean, above reproach as a wrestler, Tony Atlas came from the world of bodybuilding, but he's very much a star. Just by looking at him, he is 1,000% a star. So in your mind, you're like, well, Rocky can do some of the heavy lifting, and Tony's just got to do just enough to, to keep up with that. But he is clearly a star, and that picture of them holding up the tag belts is regarded as a benchmark in this business. Uh, accomplishment for black wrestlers for decades. And it's kind of a shame because of what we know about Rocky and kind of a shame because we know that both those men hated each other <laughs> mercilessly. Like, I don't know if I've ever heard an interview where Rocky said a good word about Tony and vice versa. Like These men can't just zoom out enough to be like, this was a major accomplishment. Like anytime this is brought up, it's like, I have to make sure that I bury my tag partner. Not like taking, not even taking, I don't know if I've ever heard them take a second to be like, this was a big deal and this was important and this was historically important. It's always like, ah, fucking Tony was such a fucking egomaniac and if he just would have listened to what I said, but he was, he was ignorant. He never listened to me. He was stupid. I hated him. And then Tony's like, Rocky was such an asshole. He was a dick. He was swindling people out of money on the territories and you blackball wrestlers. Like, and you never hear him just be like, this was important. And, and, uh, I don't know. I, I hope hopefully like Tony can look back and see what he did as being important and get past the hate. I don't know if Rocky ever got that way, but it is a pretty important thing. And, and I think that's one of the things you have to learn as you get older that you can carry around grudges. You can carry around hate, but you got to think about you got to zoom out a little bit and think about how that hate makes you look. I, from what I've seen of Tony, I think maybe he's, he's realizes it more as, as he's gotten older that that was an important thing. When I see that picture, it, it is a benchmark in, in wrestling and wrestling history. But at the same time too, it is a, it is filled with a bunch of loaded information and discussions that are maybe bigger than three white dudes on a wrestling podcast should have. Differences aside, the Soul Patrol got a big push and would beat the Wild Samoans for the Tag Team Championship on December 10th, 1983 on an episode of championship wrestling taped november 15th and at least aesthetically it's a door knocked off the hinges by rocky johnson they defend those titles on tv and on the road against the wild samoans but soul patrol would lose the belts april 17th 1984 to dick murdoch and adrian adonis and that's a a pretty short title run you have two of the best bodies in the business ever and they're very over, 
they're this historic thing so why did they drop them so fast there are two dramatically different versions of the story the rocky says once they put the belts on the soul patrol tony's head blew up and he started no showing small towns he was hard to do business with and he was eventually fired but Tony tells a little bit of a different story, saying that Rocky would go out of his way to sabotage him, wanting the spotlight all for himself. And apparently Rocky would promise to give Tony rides and then just leave him in, the, in that town, which is fucked up. So Tony didn't make the towns and he got fired. Which does not seem out of character based on what we talked about earlier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, gun to my head, I believe Tony... Even though Tony Atlas almost murdered me one time, yes, I will. <laughs> well, Jake, what'd you, and, and, and I don't, how'd you provoke and him? I, don't, I did not provoke him. I just expected the man to do the finish uh, that he's done uh, multiple times over, time and time again, which was give me an atomic drop, and then he would give like a big like headbutt and then pin me one, two, three. That was always his finish, but he decided to give me a belly-to-back suplex, not call it, uh, but he's lifted me up as if he was going to lift me up for an atomic drop. So I'm like, okay, well, this is the atomic drop. And then he's going to give me the big headbutt that I've seen before many a times. And uh, he dropped me on a belly back suplex. So I was all jacked up. I landed right on my head, <laughs> all wrong, all bad. And I was ready to beat the ever loving piss off. I was so mad. <laughs> Did he just start um, laughing? <laughs> <laughs> no, luckily he went right to his merch table oh, okay. and I had some time to calm down. Right. And I'm like, all right, well maybe, 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 uh, Maybe he should have called that because he didn't call anything in his comeback, but it was just bump, bump, feed, bump, bump, feed. And he grabs me for a belly to back. So I'm like, okay, well, this, I mean, because a belly to back suplex, he would have to bump. And I'm like, I'm not expecting him to bump. So I'm guessing this is going to be an atomic drop. And uh, it was not an atomic drop. It was a very high angle, uh, crispin belly to back suplex that I get dropped right on the base of my spine and could have been paralyzed from. Well, there's no so. holding him back. The Crispin <laughs> theme, guys. Ah, uh... yeah! <laughs> oh, you explained it. You explained it. That's better. Ah, oh, it's so good. You explained it. Oh God. You fist fighting Tony Atlas would have been the greatest story ever told on this podcast, and I, I hate that you didn't. I I feel like it would have been a push. Like he's very strong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he's he's very. But I was very angry. I, I would it would all have been rage based, but. At the same time, too, like, it is a good story, and I'm glad I survived it, and I can tell that story to this day. So, if Rocky did sabotage Tony so that he could become top dog, it didn't super work. After the tag run, Rocky just kind of grinded it out on the house shows. He's getting steady work. Sure, he's getting paid okay, but they're not really doing much with him on TV. He wasn't on WrestleMania 1, which happened in March of 85. So, Vince Jr. clearly isn't sending him to the moon here. Rocky would leave the company in June of 85, and he would go back to the territory circuit, which was not the same territory circuit he left. WWF had put a massive dent in it, and we were well on the way to WCW and WWF being the only games in town. And I believe it was around this time, it's kind of touched on in Young Rock. I don't know if either of you guys have watched that, but it it shows Rock when he's like, you know, 8, 9, 10, something like that. And his dad's working for his grandma again in Hawaii. And they've got a good working relationship with the WWF at the time. I think just because of some connection the high chief had when they were, I guess, paring down, like selling all the territories. And it, it was just interesting 
to see. And like the show's good because I think the rock gives an honest or he has enough uh, hand in the process that he gives an honest account of like his dad, his dad's waning days as a star, like trickling down from like just out of the WWF and still making okay money and, and bouncing around what's left of the territories. And then when the rocks like a teenager, which we get to later and his dad's just doing his best wrestling at flea markets and just a, a shell of what he used to be. No, that's a solid elevator pitch for the young rock. I've <laughs> kind of not been that interested in it because I'd have to see stuff about Rocky Johnson. But if it talks about the torment of Rocky Johnson, I'm in. <laughs> All right, cool. I, I, I'll have to tune into the young rock now. But uh, but yeah, that's that's the hard thing that every wrestler has to go through. I mean, that's that's why I'm in therapy right now, because I have less years in front of me than I than I do behind me. So I am getting ahead of the game and dealing with my mental health right now as my wrestling career wraps up. So make sure that when I leave it, I'm as mentally well adjusted as possible and avoid all of the pitfalls that I have seen every single wrestler for decades and generation after generation have. And guys who were big in the 60s and 70s never had to think about that and never thought about that and nobody was thinking about those things and yeah that's that's the tough thing that he was probably going through at the time well speaking of the torment of rocky johnson by 87 rocky would wind up back in memphis wrestling and life gets really bad for rocky i searched everywhere for some sort of official report or arrest record but uh, i didn't really find too much on this in 87, Johnson was arrested for the rape of a 19-year-old Tennessee girl. The charges were dropped, and there's no stretch where um, Rocky went to prison. But this is all very complex. Rocky claims he was set up, and that is tricky because, first of all, believe women. But at the same time, this wouldn't be the first time like some white trash tried to frame a black dude for something like this. But Counterpoint could also just be like a scumbag trying to save face. And the charges getting dropped doesn't necessarily mean anything. Like this is pre-CSI Miami technology. And going to court with a against a high-profile person for God knows how long. Probably not exactly fun. And this is Tennessee in the 80s. I'm sure the cops were like, I'd love to arrest a black man. But at the same time, I don't want to treat women like people. So... I don't know exactly what went on here. It seems just scrubbed from the internet. There's, I don't know if you guys picked up anything on this. I, other than obviously, like people like would whisper about things like that, but at the same time, too, some of those whispers probably were started by Tony Allen. Because, <laughs> I mean, you can't, like, I think you hit the nail on the head. It is a weird spot to be in because, you know, I mean, the. Tulsa riots massacre like was started for a similar situation. There's to kill a mockingbird. Emmett Till. But then all the same time. Yeah. I mean, all of these things exist as well as a multitude of women not getting justice against their sexual assaulters. These two things, unfortunately, are true. And the mindset in this situation can fall in either of those categories. And either way, it's an injustice and it's. Fucking terrible. Uh, next topic. 
So either way, this led to a big tear in the Johnson family because even with Rocky's extra marital escapades, this one was public and this one embarrassed the family consensual or not. This led to Little Rock resenting him on top of the regular resentment held for a dad who was literally never there. And Rocky Johnson would spiral, eventually getting completely out of the business, retiring in 91. I think he became an alcoholic. And it's just a very unglamorous ending to an otherwise historic, groundbreaking 27 years of paying his bills with pro wrestling. And that's the story of how so many professional wrestlers, especially of this era, end. It's very, it's much more of a, a fizzle than a bang, more often than not. Congratulations, Tyler. You're finally getting the idea of professional wrestling. You're, you're very, you've spoken like a true wrestling historian over here. Tyler Wood, ladies and gentlemen. Like, he finally, like, he's like, oh, I'm very new. Should I be on this wrestling podcast? And me and Nick are like, come on, man. Come on, more of the merrier. We'll educate you. Five podcasts in. He goes, man, every wrestler ends up at the bottom of the barrel when it's all done. Like, that's all. That's the one thing he knows for sure and can say so confidently that it is, I guess, it's all shit in the end for pro wrestlers. <laughs> and guess what? As a pro wrestler, don't disagree. You're the nail on the head. The tables have turned, young Padawan. At some point, some forgiveness happened because Rocky would go on to train his son. Dwayne had finished up college and his pro football career around 95-ish and had come home to ask dad for some pro wrestling lessons. Pops agreed, and uh, the kid turned out to be pretty, pretty, pretty good. I remember those training vignettes of when The Rock was about ready to make his debut and being trained by, by Rocky Johnson. And they, they talked a lot about his like time at Miami playing football. And I, as a young child who wanted to get into wrestling, I thought the way that you became a wrestler was you become a Division One athlete. Jim Ross sees you do a couple of arm drags and then you're at Survivor Series 1996. In my mind, that's the path. That's all I know. That's how you get there. And that is why I went all in on my track and field career as a Division One athlete because I thought that Jim Ross was just me like, hey, you're interested in wrestling? Come on. Turns out I just had to wait two, two or three more decades because uh, that's what they're doing now. I could have gone to some tryout in Las Vegas and they would have hired me because I was a collegiate shot putter and could cut a promo like superstar Billy Graham. But also, too, probably weird setup for The Rock. You have all of this emotional baggage with your father. You yourself are kind of at the bottom of the barrel. You don't know what your life's going to be. You don't know what your life's going to be about. And you're going to your father like, hey, can you do this thing for me? And even this, that's kind of loaded for, for Rocky Johnson as well, because here's your son that's has been pushed away from you or you've or he's pushed you away. And now he's asking you to do the thing that you have all these loaded feelings about. Like probably this time Rocky Johnson sees wrestling as the thing that ruined his life or the thing he hates or the thing that didn't love him back enough. And now your son wants to get involved in that. And you already have the issues with how your son feels about you. Like that is, that is a lot to get over emotionally. That is a lot of emotional baggage to deal with on day one of wrestling school. (laughs) Like obviously that probably that may explain and inform why the rock was so successful very early because he had to deal with emotions like that just to ask for somebody to teach him how to take his first bump 
while we're kind of on the topic of uh, dad stuff, I know a lot of people have helped their kids get a spot, you know, via backstage in, in pro wrestling. But on screen, they're going to pair Rocky and uh, Rock together. Has that literally ever worked? Like, if, if Bruno fucking San Martino couldn't get David over, like, has it ever worked even one time? This might just be... Like, this is very early when I started watching. I feel like it wasn't the first thing that they did, but when they brought Bob Orton in with Randy, like, a couple years after he had debuted, I feel like that was a great push along the way. I know it's not exactly, like, debut out of the gate, dad's doing it, but, like, I feel like that was a really well-done pairing between the two, and I feel like they complemented each other in uh, his feud with The Undertaker. Also, too, I feel like it was like we already kind of knew who Randy was. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, this is my dad. So it just it just adds another layer to who Randy is as opposed to Randy being another layer to Bob. You know, like I, I, I feel there's that. Um, but yeah, a lot of times it doesn't because there is that there is a little bit of that sense of like, oh, this guy's like all the thing ever going crazy about Rick Steiner's kid right now. You know, when he first made his debut, everybody goes nuts over it because it's Rick Steiner's kid, and you're gonna you're gonna get that for several years, but then you got you yourself had to define something past yourself, and that's what all what always works. And it's it's weird. I don't know why exactly quite how to say it. There's some like I think Cody Rhodes to, a- to answer your question. I think Cody Rhodes is the only person I can think of that their dad being around. That helps him. And but the thing is though, I think the way that Cody would carry around his father after he passed and constantly would bring up about his father and how he was so connected with his father and how he dealt with the death of his father and tried to be his father and remind people that this is what my dad did and this is what we did. Like like to me it was kinda like that. So and I think that was the thing that made Cody more successful and I think that was the thing that got people to like Cody more to an extent, but at the same time too, that led to resentment, much like it led to resentment with Dusty. So it all like to answer your question, I think Cody Rhodes is the example of that, but that happened when his father died, but he was clearly trying to be like his father and reminding people that that this is my father, you know, was very involved in the running of a company that was going against Vince McMahon. My father was the American dream. I'm the American nightmare, you know, and, and, the constant reminder of who his father was and what his father meant and was about was the thing that I think kind of made Cody who he was, but it also was probably the thing that turned people off to him eventually, but which could have also been a thing that could have made him more successful and led him to a different place. And, and that's done because of getting the rub from his father. And I think Cody Rhodes is the only person that really, where that works, but it's, but it's odd to say that because it really worked when, Dusty wasn't around. It, Cody's a weird case because I feel like at some point it happened in the last few years. So like yeah. from his debut, it's weird. I've seen his whole career from like debuting on Raw all the way through uh, Stardust leaving and going to Ring of Honor and all that. It seems like on the la- in the last few years, and it's like you were saying, going to AEW and having almost somewhat of a position of power. Who knows how the backstage structure that works. But he seems like he was so focused on trying to emulate his dad and honor his dad. At some point, Cody kind of forgot to be himself. And with The Rock and Rocky Johnson, Rocky got The Rock started and they started him off with the terrible um, Rocky Maivia gimmick and people hated it. And then he morphed into who he was and he really found who he was. 
And with Cody, to me, it feels like he's he's been kind of spinning his wheels. He knew who he was more in his Ring of Honor and Indie days than he did. It feels like to me going through AEW and current day. I I'll, I'll push back on that. I think Cody knows who he is. I don't know how much people would accept it, and I don't think how far Cody wants to show of his true self. I feel like he's gotten over because of you know like saying that, I mean he wears his father on his across his heart literally but I, I feel like Cody knows who he is but we haven't seen it yet and his and his story isn't done yet and this next iteration of whatever Cody does next I think is going to be probably the more fascinating if he's allowed to do it in how he sees it I won't hold my breath I mean unless you know something I, I don't know about like depending no I, I I don't other than the fact that like I know him enough but where where he's at, he may not have the right canvas to paint that story. But he might. Stranger things have happened. And I will always be optimistic for people being successful in this business than I will be optimistic that somebody does poorly. So The Rock was in the Fed by 96, which would give Rocky Johnson his first WrestleMania moment at 13 and 97, helping Rocky fend off the Sultan, a.k.a. Rikishi, as well as Bob Backlund and the Iron Sheik, who was trying to... All country way, make him humble. Suplex him, put him in a camel clutch, break his back, and then fuck his ass, make him humble. And here's another problematic thing with Rocky. In early 2000, Johnson was hired as a trainer for the WWE Developmental Territory Ohio Valley Wrestling. He... Apparently was a little too forward with his female co-workers. Um, nothing physical has been reported, but if you're getting fired in 2003 from WWE for sexual harassment, you're doing like some Jim Norton material. Yep, not touching that. Uh, <laughs> and this is, this is weird because 2003 was pretty close to when I did a tryout camp at Ohio Valley Wrestling. So yeah, there there could have been a incident with me and rocky johnson before we had our incident <laughs> which i think we're kind of at that point we're maybe three years away from it but i don't think we have too much more before we discuss this hall of fame so let, i have very little about this incident in ohio valley wrestling but i have a particular incident w with him that uh i for sure know happened because i was there and i heard the man say what he said Basically, it was a wrestling convention, I believe, in 2006, maybe 2007, maybe 2007, because Daphne was there. If you remember from our Daphne episode, there was a wrestling convention where we drove all the way through the night, and we had to, it was at a tennis, tennis club, and we had to shower and get cleaned up at the tennis club and then go work this convention all day and then finally fall asleep. And it was a very long weekend. It was a very frustrating weekend, and... Michael Bikikio sent us up there with a multitude of different wrestling books, old-timey wrestling books that, you know, most of them were picture books put together by a photographer, which a photographer in, in the territory era, what he would do is he would go to the promoter like, hey, I am a photographer. I would like to take pictures at your event. And the promoter would usually work out some sort of deal. Well, like, yes, you are more than welcome to be a ringside photographer, uh, but I have rights to your photos for promotional materials or I will pay you to be a photographer at our event, or however they would work out. But pretty much usually in those instances, the photographer, whatever pictures he's taken, he owns the rights to them because it's his film. He paid for the development. 
he was probably contracted out, whatever deal he has worked out. But the photographer probably has right to his photograph. So this particular photographer put together these very nice books of promo shots, action shots of wrestlers over the years. Well, we had these books just sitting on the table and they're just out and about. And this young lady who was with Rocky Johnson, I'm not exactly sure what her relation or relationship to him was, but she walked up and said, hey, Rocky noticed that he was in one of the, the picture books and he'd like you to bring that picture book over if whenever you get time. And I was like, oh, sure, no problem. So in my mind, I'm thinking like, oh, he probably saw his picture in the book, probably would like the book or, or, or like I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking like, OK, I'm going to walk this book over to him, present it to him, give it for free. Like, hey, your picture's in it, man. Have at it. That's what my whole thought process is. And keep in mind, this is a, a book that we bought from a publisher. Had no contact with this photographer whatsoever. Just bought from a particular publisher that we buy books from. So Rocky's, in the, you know, he's over there signing, but the line's kind of thin weight down. So I wait for him to take care of all of the customers in his line. And then I go up to him. And I go, hello, Mr. Johnson. I heard you were interested in this book that your, your picture's in. And he goes, yes, I am. You have no legal right to be selling any images of me whatsoever. My picture's in this book. And I want my cut of all these books that you've sold. That I want to know the whole breakdown and the price breakdowns. I want my money for my picture being in this book. I then had to proceed to tell him all the information about the book and all these things. I'm not the particular person who owns this book. They had none of it. He goes, I'm going to write your name down. I want, I want your name. I want your number. I want you specifically. I want your personal number. I'm not doing that. Like you're not getting my personal number. I'll give you the website. Like you could, you could get all the information off this book that you want and go settle up with this person. But we are a third person realtor. And then the lady who's so sheepish, all of a sudden she's just like, well, you could really understand how we would feel, right? And I, I felt like I was ambushed and I'd already had a rough weekend and I'll never forget this as long as I live. I looked him dead in the eye and I go, listen, if I haven't been wrestling for several decades, I'd just be fucking happy that somebody just put me in a book and wanted to remember me and just Ooh. gave him the book and walked away. Damn. And that's why you know I've never been in any of the fast series. <laughs> uh, that is why. But that is me cussing out Rocky Johnson. <laughs> that is a story that I don't know if I've told on any other podcast. And I knew we would eventually get to it on this podcast. And here we are. That, that is what I know about Rocky Johnson. We've talked about a lot of hearsay and rumors of things that have happened to him. But that is what I know of him. That is how he treated me. So when you hear these rumors and hear how he acted and how he treated other people. And I know how he treated me in the little bit that I talked to him. You know. I might I might listen to things that are not flattering about him being said. And that's why I feel the way that I do about him. Well, in 2008, Rocky Johnson would be inducted to the WWE Hall of Fame. Same year as Peter Maivia, so that's pretty cool. Um, both inducted by The Rock. And you can even tell this difference in his first shoot interview and the one where he's much older. During his later years, he seemed to like chill the fuck out a little bit. I think his age and being away from the business grew him up some. And it also helps that your son is one of the richest, most famous people on planet Earth. It seemed like life was pretty good on his way out. He just kind of chilled in Florida. And that brings us to January 15th, 2020, when at the age of 75, Johnson died of a pulmonary embolism in his home. 
he made it to 75. That's a lot further than a lot of wrestlers make it. I will feel lucky if I make it to 75. You know, we had some bumps on the road. I feel like the some of the darker things of them have been kind of covered over the years or been glossed over. But, you know, not, a, not, not too bad of a life. All right. Well, let's wrap it up with final thoughts on Rocky Johnson. Rocky Johnson, father of The Rock, was a journeyman. And, like, I think if he was around today, he would be a much bigger deal with the amount of emphasis and respect that a lot of wrestling fans and people have on journeyman wrestlers. I think he would be in the forefront of a lot of people's mind as a fantastic talent. But given how things were back in the day, I think he peaked as a journeyman at just the wrong time before going to the WWF. And he just, timing seems like it was just a little bit off for someone who was very talented. And at the same time, he did himself no favors with how he treated other people, uh, both professionally, personally. Seems like a complex guy. And somehow through all of that chaos, he manufactured the biggest wrestling personality in history in his son. So very complex guy, very interesting career. Obviously one of the best looks in wrestling history, beautiful drop kick, uh, especially for the amount of mass he had to like propel into the air. I had WrestleMania 13 on VHS. So most like most people, I'm like, Oh yeah, it's the rock's dad. And then you hear about the tag team championship and you know, some of the other more positive things. And, you know, that's pretty cool. Bad shit aside, he did take a lot of bullets for black wrestlers. He opened... He, okay, he, he may have closed them after he opened them, but he opened <laughs> a lot of doors. He was a lot of firsts. And I appreciate that he went to territories as an athlete. Like, he made it very clear he's not there to do your southern wrestling bullshit. He, like, he was there to be the fucking spectacle that was Rocky Johnson. And... You know, someone eventually had to take that stance and he, you know, he did a lot. He sort of did a lot for wrestlers of color. But even if some of the bad stuff is true, I mean, he's no Walter Payton man of the year. It just sucks because if he would have been a better person, I think he's remembered as this, you know, tremendously important pioneer. And because on paper he is. But I think especially if the Tennessee thing is true. He's very fortunate to have his legacy in the place that it, that it is. He's Rock's papa was a Rolling Stone father. He's in a historic tag team champion. And he doesn't get this Jackie Robinson-esque credit for some of the stuff he did. Because if you dig too deep on Rocky Johnson, you're gonna hit some bad shit. That was absolutely perfect, Nicholas. Like That's the most eloquent way to put it. And I echo those same exact things. Like you, you want to see him as this guy who is this trailblazer and push forward thing, but then you start digging deeper. It's, it's a mess. It really is. And we'll say that for the W. Kamel Bell documentary that, that happens someday that I will wish into existence. But every time I hear Rocky Johnson's name, I think about how he was a dick to me, how he yelled at me. I was literally just a guy selling a book for my employer and he yelled at me and he was rude to me and here's the thing i feel like at any moment in time during his 75 years he would have been a dick to me 
there's not a time good bad career on his way up all the way at the top of the world all the way down there would be no time that he would not be a dick to me i'm almost certain that he would treat me as poorly as he treated me but i learned something that day and i didn't always abide by it but i learned something that day is that be careful how you interact with people be careful how you interact with people in this business and in wrestling and how you act can affect people for the rest of their lives. And he acted that way in front of fans. A fan saw this interaction between me and Rocky Johnson. And now somebody who liked Rocky Johnson now feels like I do about him. And, th and that's where I had to, I had to take what he did and do the opposite and, and think about, you got to be more of a professional. If you have an issue like that, call somebody aside and have a conversation about it instead of just fly off the handle. Now, I didn't always abide by that <laughs> during my career, but it was always something I thought about when I did act that way. We all need to be better in wrestling. And the people who we're talking to may be the person we're not directly mad with. It's, it's something I carry with me all the time when I get stressed and I'm at a meet and greet or I'm at the gimmick table is to be as happy as possible. So that way you come off as the happiest and nicest person possible, even when you're not having the best day or you would even feel like it. It's, it's important always to be at your best and be thankful and happy when interacting with fans to let them know you appreciate them. You're a good person. Your admiration is going to the right place. And in doing that enough, you'll actually become the person worth admiring. You know how doctors have like bedside manner. You have, you do have good uh, gimmick table manner. I've I've seen you in action. Oh, I don't know, fucking dozens of times. And and it's good because you definitely have seen me yell at somebody. Yeah. Right <laughs> 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 You've definitely you definitely know that that those, those smiles are are faked enough that I have to believe it. <laughs> like, All right, that is uh, Rocky Johnson's Tempel Pod. I don't know, all the normal stuff. Check us out on Patreon, please. Tim Bell Pod and all the social media. You guys got anything? Uh, just keep supporting everybody, the Patreon, everything. You know, Nicholas works very hard on all of this. I do very little. Tyler's been pulling up the, you know, a lot of the work. So please, let's make this, this podcast as successful as possible. So that way, when I start to flake out, it's, it's very hard to do because there's so many fans and so many patreons that i that in my thought process of i don't want to let anybody down i can't because there's so many of you and you're clearly like listening every week you're sharing every week and i, I don't want to desert you like i did last time so basically what i'm saying is trick my brain into never giving up on this podcast ever again yeah just if you want to find me on twitter instagram all that you'll look you'll find it and uh this has been fun so far, and uh, I'm not bringing up uh, nearly enough work as I should be. Nick is still the front runner in the hard work of this, so you guys need to go to the Tin Bell Pod Twitter and tweet out uh, "fuck you, Jake, don't stop," and a "thank you, Nick." <laughs> Jake responds better to negative. Energy. <laughs> oh, I've got to push against something. Yeah, exactly. I, I know. To. I know. But I don't have any. Like life is going too well for me right now. I need something to push against. So, <laughs> um, if, if if it is a sense of like uh, my fear, like oh man, we're not doing well, I need to quit. Like no, no, no. I I need some negative reinforcement in that situation. <laughs>